welcome to another edition of The Breakdown with Brock Corbin Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Broadcorp. And I'm Becky Scher. This week, we're dedicating the entire episode to an interview with Republican Party of Minnesota Chairman David Han. It's great to have him here. It certainly is. Welcome. Good to be with you. Thank you. To our listeners who don't know, David Han was elected as chair of the Republican Party of Minnesota on October 3rd, 2021, and reelected on December 3rd, 2022. Uh, Chairman Han previously represented Eden Prairie for 14 years in the Minnesota Senate, serving in numerous leadership capacities as an assistant majority leader and minority leader. He also chaired the Health and Human Services uh, Committee of the Minnesota Senate. And uh, I've known Chairman Han a number of years, and it's great to have him here today. I know you know him too, and this is going to be a great interview. Certainly is. I'm excited to hear how things are going. Well, glad to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Chairman, I want to get your perspective. We're, we're roughly halfway at the halfway point of the legislative session. The DFL has slim majorities in the, in the House and the Senate. Give us your take, your perspective on the session and the agenda being pushed by the DFL majorities. Well, it, it obviously was a disappointing election for us last year. We thought, and many people thought, we had some hope to uh, to win majorities in the legislature. And, and as you've pointed out, we had very, very close elections in a number of cases. Uh, Democrats prevailed with the majorities. And it's pretty clear as well that, that the things that they ran on, the issues that they brought up, during the election are not the issues, not the policies that they're trying to implement today. And that is a big problem. I think that they have taken a very, very slim majority that they hold and have used that to drive the agenda of their very, very progressive left base, which is not where Minnesota is. Minnesota is very evenly divided politically. And and we have seen that they have been had very little interest in working with Republicans to try to gain that more uh, broad support for policies, which I believe is important that we try to do. So I think that their agenda that they're driving is very narrow. It is not, uh, I think, in touch with where Minnesota is. And we are hoping, looking forward to the work that we're going to be doing in the next year to uh, bring some of those uh, closely contested uh, House seats and Senate seats back into the Republican uh, into the Republican camp. You noted the the close margins and, and a change of 160 votes would give Republicans control of the Minnesota Senate. Is Your position is that the DFL's agenda isn't reflective of the realities of their slim majorities and it's not rep- reflective of the broader state? And that's correct. We think that, again, uh, looking at uh, the political landscape over the last number of years, and it's actually gotten closer. People don't realize this, but uh, if you go back 30 years ago, 1992, Minnesota had two Republican congressmen. Now we routinely elect four. So half of the state is governed or represented by Republicans in Congress. We think uh, another congressional seat is certainly in play and the national folks feel the same way. The House and Senate here in Minnesota legislative bodies have been contested very closely. The last uh, five elections, Republicans have won three of those elections in the Senate, and the House has routinely gone back and forth. So we're very politically even. We're not a Republican state. We're not a Democrat state. There's a lot of people in the middle. And when you run these elections, when you have these closely contested elections, uh, Democrats and Republicans try to speak to that that middle ground and talk about things that are going to be good for everybody. And they certainly did that during the election. But uh, the policies that they're advancing today are not consistent with the things that they ran on. They talked a lot about tax reform, tax relief, returning the Social Security or re- uh, eliminating the Social Security tax, returning the surplus dollars. Those kinds of things that they campaigned on are not part of their agenda. Their agenda is really targeted toward their very, very extreme leftist base. And so 
Some have even suggested that this may be driven by a, a governor who has political aspirations nationally, that he wants to prove that he has got the most progressive, quote unquote, uh, agenda in the country. And, and if that's the case, it's unfortunate that he's using the people of Minnesota to further his own political agenda. The, we currently hold four congressional seats. My quick follow-up is, is the fifth. Is that the second congressional district? Second congressional district, yes. Uh, politically, uh, very closely divided. Uh, we we uh, lost a very close election uh, four years ago. Last year was a little bit uh, less close, but still close. Uh, national folks uh, who, who get involved in political campaigns for Congress across the country uh, have looked at uh, our second district as a district that's certainly in play. So we are very actively working to find a candidate and uh, build that uh, uh, campaign structure to allow us to be competitive. And we think we're able to win that seat next year. Now, I think I think I kind of know the answer to this question, but um, you know, we've we've spoke a lot about messaging of of Republicans and and some messaging issues we have. Um, we had Senator Housley on last week, and she had discussed how you know what works up in Alexandria, Minnesota, which I know you were just there for the seventh right. congressional district event. Um, what works there doesn't necessarily work in Stillwater. Right. How? What are what can we do to kind of, you know, marry those thoughts? I mean, it's not necessarily we're not changing what we believe in or right. what we stand for, but we need to find a way to message differently, correct? You're right. And I think people in the Republican Party generally understand this. We talk about it a lot. We talk about how we need to do better in the metro area. Uh, you look at the last election, uh, Governor Waltz uh, got 43% of his vote in from Hennepin and Ramsey County, uh, almost half. And our candidate, of course, did less well in Hennepin and Ramsey County. And so we, we, we understand, we believe, and I think it's broadly understood, that we need to win more votes in Hennepin and Ramsey County, which is mostly suburban and urban folks. And, and we just have not been as effective in communicating with them. So I think for us, the challenge is to recognize that there are parts of the state that are very conservative and candidates that do well there can articulate a very conservative message. But when you talk about how do you win suburban votes, you have to talk about things like education and tax policy and how to build the economy. And we just have not been very effective at targeting those messages and finding candidates who can deliver it. So part of our challenge as a party is to work with our organization to facilitate the uh, advancing of candidates at the statewide level who are skilled and able to communicate that message. It's not a, re it's not a rejection of anything that we believe or our platform, but it is more about uh, making sure the principles that we believe even as Republicans, are good for everyone. And how do, how do those play out in suburban and urban areas? Um, I, I served as, as executive director of the party prior yeah. to you coming in. Um, and one thing that we saw a lot was was kind of gridlock and and you know some some roadblocks within Republican organizations and you know Republican donors either working against each other or working you know in parallel, working doing door knocking in the same neighborhood right. but not with each other, you know, things of that sort. Is Are there efforts, are there things going on to break down those silos at all? Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, uh, as disappointing as the election was last fall, one of the benefits, if you will, that came out of that was a broad recognition by all the players in the Republican enterprise broadly understood, recognize that we have to be more coordinated. We have to work together more effectively. And we have been working with uh, groups uh, in the Republican universe for the last uh, uh, couple of months, three months, and talking to people. And we've actually had a, a meeting where we got together and talked about how we can do this more effectively. And just to give you an example, one thing we talked about is 
Uh, last year, we had a lot of primary contests, which some of it is to be expected after you do redistricting, but we had a lot of primary contests and a lot of internal uh, fighting going on, if you will, uh, among people who represent different candidates. And we thought we talked about how we can, especially in districts that are targeted, that, that we think we can win, how we can agree earlier on to support a single candidate and not get distracted into supporting multiple candidates and, and the time and money that's involved in doing that. So uh, we made some, uh, I think, good progress in having those discussions. We're going to continue to meet regularly to talk about that. But we, I think there's broad understanding among the folks across the Republican spectrum that we have to work together more effectively. And Democrats certainly have figured this out. So uh, I think we can do it as well. I love that. I mean, the meeting of the minds is is welcomed to hear. It certainly has been, um, you know, a long time coming. I yes. think that it's been really frustrating for activists, for campaigns, for operatives that, you know, a variety of folks to put all this time and energy and then have the division of labor and have the division of money in a way that certainly has been detrimental to our successes at all levels. Yeah. And I think uh, we've all always talked about this as well. We have a relatively late primary in in August. So we go through, the legislature says we have an endorsing process, conventions, et cetera, that gets done in May. And then we have a, a whole summer, three, four months where we have to uh, campaign and fight among ourselves until we get to a primary in August. And then once that gets resolved, then we try to unify around whoever the candidates are and win. That's a pretty late stage to try to get that all worked out. So uh, actually, there's interest on the part of the DFL to uh, move that primary date earlier in the year to June, let's say. Uh, I've talked to people in the legislature on both sides. They, I think there is some agreement to do that. I don't know that they'll get that done this year, but uh, it may happen next year. And we, we think that that would be good to have an earlier primary to try to resolve these things. But fundamentally, going into it, especially for next year, we are trying to work with all our, our friends across the spectrum and say, let's, let's uh, agree, let, let's find good candidates, let's agree that we're not going to fight uh, over candidates and try to get as much agreement as we can going into that process so we can avoid those primary races. The 2022 elections are behind us, and the focus is now on, on the presidential race nationally. Um, what type of opportunities do you see for Republicans in 2024? And then also, in your, it's, it's still, in, to, to the, the public, I can I've talked about this before, as to whether, I think we both assume that, that Joe Biden would have announced by now, although we viewed his state of the state of the union as kind of a, the kickoff. Do you think President Biden's going to run again? And your perspective on just the overall environment for Republicans in 2024, with well, him or without him? Well, right. And I, I think, I mean, I've, I've thought for a while that uh, absent some dramatic thing, uh, Biden will run again. But uh, last week, I happened to be at an event that the chairman of the DFL party was there and he stated publicly that he had it on very good authority that uh, President Biden uh, and Kamala Harris were going to announce for re-election soon, sometime in the next probably three or four weeks. So I, I take that authority to be pretty uh, uh, accurate and that I expect that the Democrats will uh, choose Biden to be their representative at the national level. Now, I, I think that that opens up a great opportunity for us as Republicans in this state. Most people know we haven't had a presidential candidate for Republican win since 19... Uh, 72. So it's been a long time. We've come close a couple of times, but not having won since 72. So I think next year, given the unpopularity of a President Biden, and that he's never been over 50%, to my knowledge, in terms of approval, the kind of the chaotic uh, policies he's embraced, the fact that we were energy independent, and now we're not, the inflation, uh, the kind of energy policies that they've embraced, uh, uh, it, education, just go down the list. I think that will open the door for us as Republicans to have a strong presidential campaign. Now, 
I don't know who the candidate's going to be. And as a party chair, I'm uh, kind of uh, prohibited from making any statements about who I think it should be or who I hope it is or who I hope it isn't. I'm not going to get into that. We're going to support whoever the candidate that is nominated will be. But we think that whoever that candidate is, they're going to have a great opportunity to take on President Biden and his agenda and how that has played out in Minnesota. And I think that we have a great shot to, to carry the state for Republicans next year. And for our listeners to understand, Chairman Han is a chairman of the party. He's also a member of the National Republican National Committee. Right. And so if you're listening to the show and kind of under kind of wanting to understand his answer about kind of remaining neutral, he has to be he's in essence the umpire. He has to run the kind of caucus process in this state. And what what I find quite respectful about his position is is other party chair have gotten involved in these races in the past. And, and, and Chairman Han obviously, like a lot of state party chairmen across the country, understands their role as being uh, like an umpire on the field. And so you love baseball, but you can't you can't root for either team. That's why you're an umpire. And so to our listeners to understand, the reason why is because he has to be respectful of, of the, the nominating process. And so his job is to make the process run smoothly, be fair to all the candidates, and that's why he can't get involved in picking a side. Correct. And, and this went back even last year uh, in the run-up to the uh, state uh, endorsing convention. Uh, we had the precinct caucuses and all our delegates start out at that level. I didn't choose to even be a candidate for a delegate spot in my local precinct. And I did that after I was elected as chair because I knew that I would be responsible as a party to try to have this process that was open to all the campaigns and would be fair. And I thought, if I'm not a delegate, then I'm not going to have candidates calling me and asking for my support. And no one will will be able to think that I've got some personal interest in whoever that candidate uh, might be. And what I tried to do throughout that process was talk to all the governor candidates and say, look, I'm neutral. I'm Switzerland here. I'm going to, the party's going to support whoever comes through this process and wins. And you have my commitment to do that. And I was completely, I did not have a vote at the state convention. We also worked very hard with those campaigns to say, let's, let's set, uh, you know, solidify around whoever that candidate is. And that did happen at the governor level. Uh, we didn't win the election, but we did have uh, avoided a, a primary contest for the governor race, which I think helps our candidates generally to have more time to prepare. So I think next year, looking at the presidential race, uh, we have a national convention in Milwaukee. I don't know exactly when the date is, but it's sometime in the spring, early summer. Uh, our candidate will be chosen at that convention, whoever that candidate is. That'll be the signal for us as a state party and parties across the country to begin to work on supporting that candidate. And that's what we're going to do here. Are you are you excited about once again vacationing in beautiful Milwaukee <laughs> in the summertime? It's lovely. Uh, well, I yeah, my sister lives over in the Milwaukee area and uh, I don't get over there too often. And uh, I guess I'll be honest, it's not my ideal vacation spot. <laughs> yeah, that, but, was, uh, that was a half-hearted joke. Uh, yeah, because it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, national conventions are great. I've had the opportunity to go a few times, and they're just a remarkable experience. It is very interesting. I, I haven't been to a lot of them. Uh, when I was involved in the legislature, I didn't uh, try to be too active in the inside the party, which uh, that was just my choice. But but I, I think you're right. They're exciting, and I think next year will be exciting, especially if we're looking to find the candidate who can uh, defeat Joe Biden. And as I said, we're excited about that opportunity. Now, obviously, this kind of it is determined based on who our candidacy is. But have you, you know, again, when I was, you know, at 20 in 2020, um, I was at the party um, and we had did have 
involvement from the Republican National Committee and the Trump right. campaign at that point. Do you expect some level of involvement from a national scale, um, depending on who the candidate is? Is there still interest in Minnesota flipping red for a president? I think so. Uh, obviously, a lot of it depends on, again, uh, who our candidate is. And of course, the national parties, once they start down this path, they'll be doing their assessment of uh, which states are in play. Uh, we think, again, going back to our previous comments, that Minnesota is very politically evenly divided. Uh, I think that uh, is encouraging. I think if we have a, a great opportunity to win a congressional race, that'll even be more encouraging. So uh, lots of things that are unknown at this point, but uh, we are not writing off the expectation or the hope, I should say, of having the, the, the national organization look at Minnesota as a, as a state that's worth investing in. And again, given the fact that it's probably most likely going to be uh, Joe Biden as the candidate on the Democrat side, uh, I think that opens the door for Minnesota to be in play. We've seen other Midwestern states, certainly Iowa, Wisconsin, and our our surrounding states are, are always uh, kind of more leaning to the Republicans in recent years, and, and we are demographically very similar to many of those states. So I think that, that if, if we can uh, uh, do a good job organizationally in Minnesota, uh, we've got a very good relationship with the national organization. I think uh, it's not beyond expectation to think that they would be interested in, in coming in and in playing in Minnesota as well. Fantastic. Your job as chairman of a political party in Minnesota, in Republican Party in Minnesota. What are your goals and objectives to help Republican candidate win statewide? I mean, you, you articulated and, and was insightful to, to hear for, and obviously someone who I thought understood Minnesota politics, but I forgot. I mean, I was, I graduated from high school in 1992. And to think that uh, that long ago, that also that short ago, that we only had two Republican members of Congress, it really shows the opportunities that right. I think. So if you look, at, if you kind of go down a little bit, if you look at the the 160 votes flips the Senate seat, Republicans have control of the Senate. If you look at the fact that Republicans have four congressional seats and an opportunity, which I think we all collectively agree, and I know you worked on a race in the second, know that that I live in the second is Eden, Eden Prairie's in the in now, now in the third, right. but that's a that's a winnable seat. And so I think the the nut or the things that are trying to crack here a little bit is is the statewide. What is what? What are you doing at the party to help? What are your goals in rebuilding? Focused on that kind of statewide opportunity. Right. Well, a, a couple of things. Uh, we as uh, uh, Republicans, we tend to be uh, pretty independent, and uh, sometimes that translates into a little bit of uh, I don't want to say chaos. That might be too strong a word, but but certainly a lot of uh, activity. And and part of our goal uh, since I have been elected, and I came in talking to people when I was running for the first time, that we need to as a party. Uh, get stronger, get more effective. And that to me is an organizational problem. I served in business for a long time, served in the legislature. Uh, any any enterprise that wants to be successful has to have a strong organization, an organization that can effectively accomplish the goals that it has. Our goal is to win elections. That's the purpose of uh, any political party. That's our goal. And so we have to have structures that are going to facilitate that. And just as an example, some of the things that we need to work on, I think, uh, we need to have our endorsing process and our delegate selection process and all those processes that we conduct across the state at our local party units, our BPOUs and congressional districts. Those have to be more uniform in nature. Right now, our party structure gives a lot of leeway to local organizations in deciding you know, how they're going to do their delegate selections and how they're going to do their, their processes, even their own constitutions. They have a lot of leeway to define those things. So for candidates trying to get through that process, and we saw that a lot last year with the governor candidates and statewide candidates, 
trying to negotiate every individual convention and the different processes is a huge problem, huge issue, especially for candidates who are relatively new to the political procedural world. So part of our goal as a party this this year is to find ways to make that more uniform, more consistent. We want to set uh, clear expectations of what people who work in the party organization need to do and how they need to do it. We need to, of course, raise money, and it should happen across the organization, up and down. We need to make sure we have a strong cohort of volunteers across the state, up and down, and get people focused on the number one job, which is to help candidates get elected. Uh, We have a lot of people that like to debate policies and debate issues, which is all great. But fundamentally, parties exist as as a mechanism to help candidates. We want candidates to carry our message, and we have to have the organization behind it that is able to help them uh, uh, do those uh, practical political things that that win campaigns. And I think that's one of the big differences between Republicans and the Democrat DFL party, that over the years, they have done a lot of work to build an organization that is stronger, more effective, and it does play out in their fundraising, obviously. Uh, I think one of the reasons we've struggled a little bit raising money is I think a lot of our our donors look at our party and say, well, I'm not sure if you guys can really do these things. So I, that's the challenge we have. And we are working right now to develop some recommendations. Uh, uh, we hope to have a convention later in the year. We've got a process where we have a constitutional committee that is appointed every year and they get a chance to make recommendations. And we'll see if uh, if we can generate some recommendations that may help us get that stronger, uniform focus on what we need to accomplish as a party organization. And uh, we expect that we'll see some progress that direction. Great answer. There's something very important I want to go back to that you said that I think is critical for people to understand. It is the job of the party to win elections. Correct. That in some ways might be a controversial statement to some, but it shouldn't be. That's the objective of the party. The objective of the party is to elect candidates. It's not to have a debating society. It's not to have the best party platform. It's to, it is to win elections. And that is, it's so critically important that I think Republican party activists understand that that's the role of the party. Have you encountered resistance or concerns with with that type of mindset? Well, I, I think, uh, again, we're a big party, we're yep. a broad party, just like the Democrats, we've got a, a broad spectrum of people. But I have been at meetings just in the last uh, two or three months where I've talked about these things and talked about the purpose of our organization is to develop it so it has the capacity to win elections. And I've had people challenge me on that and say, well, uh, really our, our, our purpose should be to, to find uh, the most uh, conservative people and, and use that as a way to demonstrate what our platform and policy are all about. And whether we win or not is kind of, in their mind, secondary. And I challenged that person that I heard that from and said, wait a minute, if, if our job isn't to win elections, then we're in the wrong business. It is the job of the party to find ways to win elections. And as you said earlier, uh, the kinds of uh, uh, candidates who are successful in places in greater Minnesota, outstate Minnesota, are are different than the kinds of candidates that can win in the metro area. And we see this in the state legislature all the time. Uh, when I served as the minority leader, we had a coalition of Republicans across the state representing Senate districts, but they were not all philosophically identical. And and that's important. It, the, politics is a is a the ultimate team sport. And and you have to have people who are able to play different roles. You can't expect everybody to be the quarterback or everybody to be the wide receiver. And and you can't expect all our candidates across the state to be identical in their philosophies or how they understand how the principles of the party, which are important and fundamental, how those principles get applied and how they're communicated to people who will benefit by those, uh, those principles being enacted. That is important. And we need to find ways to do it. So I think there's sort of uh, generally acceptance of that 
that, but the practical part of it is to make sure that we have an organization and we have broad support for that very fundamental purpose. Let's figure out how to be a, an effective political organization. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I do think it is important to 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 lay that out for a lot of the activists. And, you know, I came up in the party system. I was a, a BPOU chair. I, you know, was a delegate, you know, have have gone all through that. So I appreciate everybody who, who it, you know, a lot of time and effort and energy that the activists in, in the party apparatus um, put forward. Um, but it has seemed to evolve, you know, even since my involvement over the last 12, 14 years, um, has seemed to evolve as, as some of these folks folks that um, almost want to, you know, be the people that hold hold our candidates accountable. And, you know, if they're not voting the way, they're going to vote them out, which there is a place for, but it just doesn't necessarily happen to be in the party apparatus. So it sounds like, I mean, the work you're doing with the with the party platform and the constitution and with these other organizations is is trying to kind of as a whole rehab almost the party? Is that well, a kind of a way to say it? I guess I would, yeah, I would say just to make sure that we are all focused on the objective that we have, which is to win. Uh, and, and we have work to do. We, we've got uh, right now uh, four congressional districts that are Republican. Uh, those are pretty solid Republican, very conservative. They have very strong uh, principles and, and, and the Congress people who represent those areas are very good, very, very effective. Uh, those have to become stronger, frankly. Uh, Democrats know the lay of the land as well as we do. They're not going to sit back and say, oh, gee, you guys are the majority out in CD7 or 8 or 1 or whatever. We're just going to accept that. No, they're not. They're going to come back and try to find candidates who can campaign effectively against Republicans. So our organization in those areas needs to be focused on how do we have a stronger vote for Republicans in these areas. And doing that will help our statewide effort. Uh, we see Democrats do this all the time. They have candidates in the Twin City area that run up routinely 80% of the vote. And and uh, we, we just, uh, and you say, well, why would they bother? I mean, we we, uh, we just are, haven't been very successful, but they know how important it is to try to get as strong a vote as they can in areas where they are already strong. So we're trying to encourage our, our organization to build the strength in areas where we are strong and then build the capacity to become strong in areas where we're less strong. And, and so it's not going to be the same, if you will, same agenda for every congressional district or every BPOU, but focusing on what we can do to win those votes uh, more broadly in the metro area, the Hennepin-Ramsey County in particular, uh, and finding a way to crack that code, that is what is going to give us the ability to win statewide. And as I said, I think we are going to be able to do that. Uh, I think there's broad understanding of that principle by Republicans. The, the difficulty is when it comes right down to it, you know, people want to fall back and, and uh, kind of do what we've always done. But we have to be willing to look at this and say, what is the best way to win statewide and focus on that? So 2026 is a couple years away, but, you know, coming up in 2024, we know that we have the state house that is going to be up. One thing that we need for this new, you know, kind of party system to effectively uh, work to elect folks are good candidates. Correct. Can you speak a little bit to if anybody's, you know, out here listening and, and maybe knows of somebody, what what makes a good candidate in your eyes? What should we, you know, me and Michael and, and anybody here be looking for, you know, small business owners, teachers, 
past politicians, newbies, what what are we looking for for good candidate recruitment? Well, a lot of it depends, of course, on the level. If you're talking about local uh, state legislative candidates, uh, to me, one of the most important things is to have somebody that has a strong presence in the community, somebody that already has, if you will, a kind of a natural constituency, people who've been demonstrated leaders in their uh, athletic associations or in their local chambers of commerce or active in the, uh, maybe an elected office at a school board or a, a city council and had, had some experience in dealing with the public and have a presence in the community. Those those kinds of folks who've got a little bit of experience in the political world as well as a sort of a natural constituency among their fellow citizens, they have some name identification, are respected, they make great candidates. Now that doesn't mean you can't have somebody that's brand new to the process who can come in and maybe just arrived from some other place and has got a, a great business and is an effective communicator. Those are all things that, that we recognize and, and think can be great candidates as well. When you look at a statewide candidate, I think there the skill set may be a little differently. You've got to have people who are willing to and able to uh, develop a message across a, a broader constituency and have some skills to be able to communicate that. And nobody's got all the skills, and we have to have help from others along the way. Uh, but I think uh, uh, having a strong work ethic, having those uh, skills of communication, uh, being willing to listen, uh, those are all things that help make a great candidate. And uh, obviously, the fundamental thing is you've got to be willing to ask people for money to help them pay the bills that every campaign has. Lots of money. Well, Mr. Chairman, I want to thank you for being here today. Um, where can people want to get involved in the party? MNGOP website? Yep, uh, mngop.com. It's our website. We have done some work in the last year to revamp that. It's uh, it, We think it's an upgrade. Uh, we're still working on it. It's a work in progress. It's always going to be. But they can certainly contact us through there, or they can contact uh, me directly. My contact information is on the website as well. And then on social media, you're at, at mngop.com is where people get information, right. press releases. Uh, I want to thank you for being here on a, on a personal, professional level. It means a lot that you came. I want you to know you're welcome back anytime. I hope right. this wasn't too painful of a process. No, no, not at all. And, and we would love to have you back. Uh, Becky, your thoughts? Absolutely. You know, I'm, we're, we're a little critical at times, I think, according to our, our folks on Twitter. But we are very hopeful that, uh, you know, sooner than later, Republicans at the state legislature, we can win back a chamber and hopefully get statewide. Would love to see a uh, Republican or Minnesota turn red for a presidential. So we appreciate your effort and and taking right. the steps to build build the party apparatus well, to make that happen. Well, we don't have to agree as Republicans on everything. And when, when we had this meeting with our enterprise partners, uh, one of the things that I said is, look, uh, the fundamental belief among all of us in this room, and we can differ on policy things or practical things or even candidates, but the thing that should unite us is the belief that as a state and as people in the state, we are better off being governed by Republicans under Republican principles than we are by Democrats. And if we can agree on that, uh, we can we can have a lot of debate about other things and and we can have differences. But if we can always come back to that, that understanding that we are better off as a state being governed by Republican principles and Republican political leaders, then we're in business. And that's what I hope to do. Well said, sir. Thank you for the, your time today. And we look forward to having you on again. Thanks. Well, that was a great interview with Chairman Han. It was exciting, as we were noting. Um, We've had we've spoken with the chair of the DFL, now the chair of the Republican Party. We've had a member of the DFL Senate, GOP Senate, GOP House, DFL House on the podcast since we've started. It's it's been going great, and I think it was a very good conversation. I agree. I'm you know I I know we give a hard time to Republicans, candidates, operatives all across the board sometimes, but um, I am cautiously optimistic that the wins are in our future, and it's it's great to hear that steps are being made and. 
we we just get to sit and watch and and be hopeful at this point, right? It was nice to have that interaction with the with the party chairman. He was accessible. He was open. He was willing to come on. He answered our questions, I think, put a lot of thought and attention into coming and being here. And I think that's great. For if you're a Republican who follows the, our podcast or a Democrat who follows our podcast, there's going to be some news in what Chairman Han just said. And we hope to have him back on. Uh, I feel better today about the Republican Party than I have in a long time to some, because of some of the things that he specifically mentioned and how he framed it up. I also thought his answer of the job of the party is to win elections was critically important to hear. I'm glad he said it. And there's a lot that he said that resonated with me. And, and I'm optimistic. Absolutely. I'm optimistic today more than I ever have been. And it's it's not an easy job. I mean, to wrangle, you know, tens of thousands of activists across across the state that have differing viewpoints, different um, wants, and obviously, you know, that view what the party apparatus is supposed to be completely, di oh, completely differently than just knocking into my computer here, but completely different than than what it is meant to be. So he's got a heavy lift. Uh, and I guess we are going to be hopefully talking to him after they're successful in some of these changes that are be, they're working on making. That's great. But it's good for our listeners to be able to bring in those type of guests and informs us and brings us awareness and it, it helps elevate the discussion. Agreed. Because, you know, you and I just talking. I mean, how many times can you bring up the fact that I endorsed Tim Walls? It really took me everything at one I, point uh, to yes. really hold back and be, uh, you know, gracious with our guest and not give you a hard time while he was here. Yeah, but it does show, I think, the caliber of type of guests we're trying to bring on. And, and stay tuned because we... I uh, have more surprises coming up here relatively soon with our guests. Uh, let's go to the famous or infamous tweet of the week. All right. Let's go. Let's start with you. So I'm going to preface this by saying oh boy. my almost nine month old son is getting his third and fourth teeth. I mean, the nights are rough. So when I saw this tweet, I just had to go with it. The tweet says it's by Somers at Somers Aaron. Um, daycare sent a note today that my baby, quote, tried to bite someone else and accidentally bit herself. She's just like me. Just kind of made me chuckle. So the baby bit themselves? <laughs> was trying to bit, bite somebody else and, and accidentally bit himself or bit herself. And I got to say, as the amount of times that my son bit my hand and shirt and everything this weekend, I see it happening. It's a lovely time, isn't it? It certainly is. Children are just precious. <laughs> God's wonders. Um... My, my tweet of the week is, is Jennifer DeJernit, at Jen DeJernit. Um, she re, retweeted uh, uh, the our Twitter account, uh, BB Break Pod, with a message saying that she agreed with Senator Housley uh, and has traveled the state and gotten closer than any operative to a Republican win for statewide office. Senator Housley is exactly correct. Um, our past episode now, we interviewed Senator Karn Housley, which I thought was a fantastic interview. I mean, all of our interviews are fantastic. We're conducting the interviews, so of course they are. Uh, but I think Senator Housley uh, provided, I think, uh, an opportunity to talk about the Republican message, Republican branding. I, I think you had a, you had some fantastic questions for her about the focus, uh, what Republicans need to be talking about, particularly to Republican women, suburban moms, uh, women in the suburbs. And, and Jennifer DeJernit here is agreeing with what Senator Housley's message was. And, and like her tweet says, you know, Jen definitely uh, travels the state and has been working with activists and messaging uh, for a long time and has gotten us pretty close. And so it, when we get a stamp of approval from her, I will take it. Well, another show. You haven't left? Not, not yet. All right. Well, we'll see maybe next week if, if, if you show up. And we want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Broad Corbin Becky. Uh, before we go, 
I'd like to remind you to show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or any platform where you listen uh, to our podcast or on our website. We are at bbbreakpod. That's bbbreakpod.com. We're also at Twitter at at bbbreakpod. Again, at bbbreakpod on Twitter. So thanks again. I'm Michael Broadcorb. I am Becky Cher. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.